Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hello and welcome to the Renaissance English History Podcast, a part of the Agora Podcast Network. I'm your host, Heather Tesco, and I make history accessible because I believe it's a pathway to understanding who we are, our place in the universe, and being more deeply in touch with our own humanity. Today, I'm going to veer away from the Renaissance to introduce you to a new show from the Wondery Podcast Network, and it's called This Is War. These are fascinating, dramatic, and intensely human stories from the men and women of the United States military, giving up-close and personal accounts of their experiences in combat. How does the reality of what they faced affect these brave soldiers? How do they overcome the physical and psychological scars suffered on and off the battleground? You will hear firsthand accounts from veterans who have experienced the highs and lows of serving their country. Comrades in arms and the emotional road that they travel returning to their lives back home. In this episode, we meet Ian Mearns. A month before his senior year in high school, when he was just 17 years old, Ian walked into the recruitment office and signed up on the Deferred Entry Program. That was in August of 2001. A year later, the world had completely changed and he was entering the military under very different circumstances than he had anticipated. Here's a short preview. Heroism is something bestowed. It isn't something people strive after. We look at actions, and in retrospect, we call them heroic, but the people who rise to the occasion never seem to. A lot of times, it can sound like false modesty, but that rarely is the case. Heroism isn't found in courage or in strength, but rather in a commitment to duty, the ability to swallow, shake your head, pick up one foot and put it down in front of the other, move forward, and do your job. Telling stories of the American combat veteran gives us a chance to look at heroism, honor, and duty through the lens of real lives and see the practical influence of a life in service to one's country. But there is something to be said about the will to put yourself in harm's way. The will to do what's right, to take on and live up to a duty to something beyond yourself. After all, they do call it the service. Ian Mearns did two tours in Iraq. The first one was bad. The second one was worse. But the question you want to ask yourself is, how long can you stay brave? After all, bravery isn't the lack of fear. It's action in the face of it. And every day, Ian acted in the face of fear. It's me and my friend, and we're laying out in this courtyard place, and 
we start getting rocketed and we're like at that time i was just like fuck it like i didn't care because i i if i run inside it's gonna hit anyways if i stay where we're at and nobody else moved we just watched it because it happened so much it happened so many times at that point we didn't move and in the morning we talked about it and it's like how fucked up is that no one moved no one no one ran to get cover because there's nothing you could do. I know in my heart, if I had to, I would have done anything to save somebody or do whatever. But I, I knew that I, I knew for a fact I was going to die. And that fear is so pervasive. At 17 years old, a month before his senior year in high school started, Ian walked into the recruiter's office and signed up for the delayed entry program. He would leave the following July. Next to his name, he wrote the date. It was August 7th. 2001. I joined August 7th. Up to that point, there had been Kosovo, there had been Somalia with the Black Hawk Down stuff. But within the last 10 years, there hadn't been anything. For me, I didn't really understand how much was going on in the world. And then September 11th happened and I joined. And all of a sudden, the whole process and the whole entire reality of me going to the Marine Corps is completely different. You know, my job is, I picked was combat engineer because my recruiter was that. And he said that I would be able to go down to Guatemala and all these different South American countries and help build stuff, but then, you know, meet all these girls and all these things and filled my head with these, you know, Hollywood things of just traveling the world and having fun and meeting meeting women and doing all these things. But um, yeah, that was a big difference from joining to actually going was like, well, it's a good chance I may actually go to combat, so. It would be wrong to say that Ian wasn't afraid or that the members of the 7th Combat Logistics Battalion weren't completely confident in their mission. But as they drove across the desert, the Iraq that Ian would find would not be the Iraq that he expected. When I went in, drove in, there's a complete disparity between Kuwait and southern Iraq. It's like night and day. There's people living in trailers with gun holes, bullet holes in them, 50-cal bullet holes, using puddles to drink water and to bathe in and everything. And they're coming out and waving at us like we're the next best thing, you know, because we were giving them food and things like that. When you go through, I expected this nefarious, you know, evil place, and there's people that were... Just, just dirt poor, and that I know what that means now. That phrase, you know, they're just in the dirt with nothing. They were on their way back to the base when the shelling started, and once it started, it became his constant companion for the rest of his tour. So we're walking down, and we're like right to about to get into the wadi, and this fucking explosion goes off to the left of us, which is way far away, like two football fields. They call it walking it in. So they shoot a mortar, they move the tube, barely any millimeters or whatever the case, and then fire again. But that trajectory is much further when it lands. So they started walking him in. And I was terrified. I didn't know what the fuck was going on. I started running. And once you get an adrenaline dump like that, like I just remember the mortars, them coming in, but apparently they'd hit over by the barracks that were to the left of us. And um, an individual got hit, and the shrapnel hit him in the privates. And we were running up there because he was screaming for help. He was screaming for his mom. Chaos and confusion reigned in Iraq in a way that just didn't seem possible to Ian merely a year before. It wasn't just the combat, and it wasn't just the casualties. It was the insidiousness with which they all occurred. 
As an example, one of the combat engineer's responsibility was to repair and rebuild the roads of Iraq. So Ian and his team would go out every day, and they would fill potholes. But at night, the insurgents would dig up the patches and insert IEDs. The next day, there would be an explosion, and sometimes a death. And so let's think about that question we started with. How long can you stay brave? Ian made it four years, or so he thought. But along the way, he left some of his humanity back in Iraq. His interpreter had just got his fucking head cut off with four other interpreters because they were helping out us. And like, yeah, dude, we just found the bodies. We found the heads first. And um, we, we just buried them, like nonchalant, you know. Or uh, this guy got shot. We shot somebody in the neck. And because he didn't stop in time, I was fucking laughing. Like, I didn't, I, I didn't care. I was like, okay, like, you know, what, what does it matter if... If they don't give a fucking shit about us and, and you know, they're, they're trying to blow us up all the time. So that's what, that's what I felt like. <clears throat> and I came home the second time. I was completely different. I was, everyone said it too. I didn't feel like I was a part of anything anymore. Um, I felt really disconnected. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or whatever you're listening to right now. To find a link to subscribe to This Is War, simply tap or swipe over the cover art. Are you a combat veteran, or do you know one with a story to tell? Reach out to us at stories at thisiswar.com with your dates, branch of service, and a brief description of the experience that you'd like to share. 